Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. England, 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 England. Hello one, hello all, and welcome to episode two of Back of the Net, the England Euro 2016 podcast with me, Sean Barker. And me, Sam Davis. And thanks for joining us as we bring you shows throughout the tournament. As long as England are in it, of course. Yeah, let's hope it's for a while yet. Now, as per back of the net rules, you've got to be wearing an England shirt while listening to the show. So I am wearing the 2006 World Cup shirt. It's the red away shirt, actually, with number 11, Jay Cole, on the back. But the big question is, after last week's shocking revelation that Sam always chucks his England shirt out after every tournament, did he go and buy the new one? Sean, of course I did. I went out, I popped down Woolworths and then had a look in JJB Sports. And then I thought, oh, look, there's an England shirt. Okay, I'll be honest. No, I didn't. And I have been looking, though. The current England shirt, I'm not I'm not actually that fond of, to be honest. But I'm actually going to Lyon on Thursday. So I'll be in France for a few days. And after all the recent revelations, I'm kind of thinking twice about wearing an England shirt. So I did decide against it. So instead, listener, all he's wearing is a bow tie. Nothing else. Just a bow tie. Ooh. So, coming up on the show today. We bring you some of your fan thoughts after the 1-1 draw with Russia. We'll then discuss the match as well as the shocking scenes around Marseille. Sean will test your knowledge of a former England Euro great. Is there such a thing? With today's Do You Remember quiz questions. We'll have the latest England news from our news booth where I certainly hope you're going to be wearing more than a bow tie, Sean. Plus, we'll be previewing the up-and-coming game on Thursday against our great British counterparts, Wales. So let's get going, first of all, with Do You Remember? So get your thinking caps on. This player was born on the 11th of February 1974 in Hull and played for England between 95 and 2001. He was a midfielder who received a total of 23 caps for England, scoring four goals and featuring in Euro 96, coming off the bench in three games, and in Euro 2000, where he made two substitute appearances. He had a habit of scoring in the first game of a New England manager's career, netting for Glenn Hoddle's debut against Moldova in a World Cup qualifier in 96, and then in the first game of Sven-Goran Eriksson's reign in a 3-1 friendly win versus Spain. After scoring that goal for Glenn Hoddle's side in 96, He was then dropped from future England squads for four years until Kevin Keegan recalled him in 2000 ahead of the Euros that year while he was playing for Liverpool. He started as part of the England side that recorded the memorable 5-1 victory in Munich versus Germany in 2001, with his last game for England coming later that year as a starter in the World Cup qualifier versus Greece 
that featured that incredible Beckham last gasp free kick goal. During his lengthy club career, he played for Spurs, Middlesbrough, Everton, Liverpool, Leeds, Nottingham Forest, and lastly, his hometown club, Hull City. Okay, there we go, listener. That is this episode's Do You Remember? Now, people that listen to our show frequently, because we're normally an AFC Bournemouth podcast, will know that Do You Remember is a regular feature of the show. Just as regular as the feature is Sam's blank expression is duh, and the lies of I think I know it. So let's see if tradition is maintained. Sam, do you know this week's player? Sean, I think I do know the answer, but I, I don't know. It's, it's so di- <laughs> I'm just going to be doing my usual blur. But you said he had a sabbatical of like four years and then came back into the England setup. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. All I'm doing is just repeating the clues to try to sound knowledgeable. Uh, at the moment, it's not clear. However, I reckon I'll get it throughout the show. So bear with me. I won't cheat. I'm going to get it. I'll just translate that. He's got absolutely no idea at all. Let's move on. Whatever, Sean, whatever. So England drew 1-1 with Russia at the weekend. Myself and Mr. Barker over there are going to be talking about it shortly. There's plenty of talking points to go through. But first, let's listen to your fan thoughts. Wales might actually turn us over. I was uh, the way they played against Slovakia. Slovakia looked like a good team as well. They got some dangerous players. We have a hard time against them as well, especially if we can't score. But I was just think, I was thinking like the other day that have we got have we got a player that's as good as Bale? And no, I don't think we've got anyone that's close to him. And he's just one of those players that can just change a game. He could do that same thing against us, whacking a thirty-yard free kick next. You know. We're one nil down. It's, it's going to be such a tough game, but cannot freaking wait for it though. And I, I was, I was loving the fact that Wales won. Actually, I think it's really good that, that we've got that sort of, we've got that sort of almost connection with Wales. It's quite cool. If it was Scotland, there's no freaking way I'd be supporting them. But. Oh well, basically, up to um, Jay's minutes of his choosing was was a good performance, like say seven out of ten. But after that, it just went down for me. Basically, when he took off um, Wilshire, I think it took off Rooney for Wilshire, he should have took off um, Sterling for Vardy as well. And that, that time, goal for another goal. Because we all, there was pressure on us, but not too much. They could see, they could nick a goal. That's how they, could, that's how they were going to um, get a goal. But at the first half, we should have been like 4-0 off, if you get what I'm saying. I thought we played rubbish. I thought we played like a load of schoolboys. We're good at doing the, the paperwork, but when it comes to the results and the exams and getting the goals, we were rubbish. I think Wells on their day, though I'm born in England, Wells are slaughterous. Well, there's two players that should have been on that plane, but I'm afraid they're not there, and I'm disgusted, but I suppose they weren't fit. That was Andy Cowell and Defoe. If we'd have had them two up front, I think we'd have seen goals going galore. With that team we got today, look, everybody's shouting about Harry Kane. He's only been a year in the top flight. He's not, and, uh, no, even to Jamie Vardy and having drink water on them pair, I still don't think them two together would be able to do the results. No good talking. You've got to look at it on paper. We've been in and out of competitions and we're losing. We're not strong enough and we're not ruthless enough. Like last night, France won't win it. Romania should have won that, but they knew what to do at the end to get that goal. So did the Russians on the English tonight. I knew what to do to get a goal. Nah, the first half we was really good. I thought we looked really good. I thought we should have had two or three goals, right? Um, I thought I was a little bit disappointed with Sterling. I was a little bit disappointed with him. I think he should have been hooked before half-time and put Vardy on or maybe. But, but Wayne needs to play up front, mate. Wayne needs to play up front. Him and, him and Vardy with Wilshire behind. Just just give us some options. Lallana was superb. Um, the back, back four, I thought, was coped quite well with them. They had a lucky, lucky, you know, header. But, you know, 
it's all good. We haven't lost, have we? We've still got to play the, the world on, on Thursday. And thank you very much to everyone who contributed to the fans' thoughts on Back of the Net now, especially to Joel Fabian. He's listening in Farnham. So, Joel, thanks for getting involved. He's been a relatively new listener to our podcast, so we really thank you for submitting your comments. And, well, of course, we're going to be talking about the -the off-the-field events a bit later on in this podcast. But starting with the football... England were agonisingly denied an opening Euro 2016 victory after a last-minute Russia goal. And that saw the Group B game finish 1-1 in Marseille. Roy Hodgson's men created plenty of chances throughout the contest. Eric Dyer made the breakthrough with that curling free kick. And we were trying to see the match out. But then Vasily Berutsky salvaged a dramatic draw. So that means England are returning to their base now to prepare for quite a crunch game against Wales on Thursday, while Russia are in action against Slovakia on the Wednesday. So the teams lined up, and Sean, you weren't that far away from getting the lineup 100% correct. I know, it was pretty close, eh? I had picked Wilshire ahead of Lalana, but other than that, yeah, I wasn't actually that surprised we ended up with the team that we picked um i think you're 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 a bit further away eh, with your your selections but who knows maybe your selections would have won the game but no um obviously the rooney dropping deeper that we haven't seen was a little bit surprised because i think maybe roy you know pulled a bit of a bit of an eddie howe for bournemouth listeners in that you know you tell the media one thing and do something else roy had always been pretty clear that Rooney's a striker, he plays up top and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly we saw him dropping deep. And you've got to say, what a brilliant performance I think Rooney had. For me, totally justified why he was in the side and why he was playing. Um, but other than that, the lineup I think, looked really good and our shape looked really good. And, yeah, we felt pretty comfortable going into kickoff. Yeah, I mistakenly on last uh, week's episode said that Kyle Walker and Klein would be starting, uh, (laughs) forgetting that they are both right backs. What an absolute idiot I am. What a buffoon, some may say. But I thought it was a a really good first half. The only thing that uh, was lacking, of course, was the goal. But um, I I don't know, it's it's really strange. I was tracking some comments online on Twitter whilst I was watching... And you do see some negative comments uh, coming through, uh, you know, people saying that we should be more clinical. And yes, we should have been. But there was there seemed to be more positivity from the sort of overall performance as a whole after that first 45 minutes, despite there not being any goals. I thought there'd be frustration, but there wasn't. There was a lot of optimism. Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant first half. I mean, I think the way that we attacked, the way that we were bright on the ball, we were having little link-ups, we were getting in behind, fullbacks pushing really, really high. Again, we're going to reference Bournemouth lots because that's our team and that's what our podcast is normally about. But Bournemouth is uh, based around our fullbacks both bombing very, very high and our wide men cutting in, which having seen how much England have done that in that opening game... It now makes a little bit more sense maybe why Townsend wasn't selected, who can be a player that can can stay out wi- a bit wider, whereas our players tucking in gives the space for the fullbacks. I mean, Lalana had a couple of chances, one where he drilled it straight at the goalkeeper, another one that he scuffed. Smalling had a great header again that went straight at the goalkeeper. There was that nice sterling back heel, Rose crossed and Ali missed it. I mean, there was almost a... Great Rooney through ball to Ali. Um, there was there was a lot of chances, and you just I, I had a mate of mine here who uh, Mark who rarely gets up early to watch games because we we're down here in Wellington, New Zealand. So it was seven a.m. start, and he said, "Oh, I might make it for second half." And I was texting him in the first half, going, "Mate, you need to come and see this. We're actually playing really well." And his reply was, "What's the score?" And I say nil nil, and he said, "Ah, oh, yeah, no, I'll stay in bed." And I was like, "No, no, seriously, this time you need to." So it was a great first half. I also just want to reference, because it kind of got overshadowed by everything else, (laughs) that Mm. brilliant moment when Joe Hart smashed the ball against Smalling's head and it almost, if he'd hit it a bit harder. 
<laughs> would have gone into our own net. It was just like a mo- the comment- commentator didn't really comment on it en- enough. I felt it needed <laughs> it needed at least multiple replay angles. So, uh, just a quick question, actually. When you're watching, Sean, obviously being on the other side of the planet to us, what commentary team have you got? Because we've obviously got the um, we've got ITV down here. So, um, obviously, BBC and ITV share it. So, we had Clive Tildesley and Glenn Hoddle as the coach uh, commentator. Who do you have? ITV. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> I was just checking because I wondered if you had some kind of, uh, you know, some Kiwi doing it or something. Nah, no, it's... Um... No, it's 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 ITV coverage for me and BBC. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. So yeah, the first half. Um, I actually, uh, yeah, half time. I was quite pleased. Now I was actually watching the game with a Wales fan because we had a sort of double header. Me and my friend Martin, I uh, I watched the Wales game, and I was I was really g'd up for Wales. I was so happy for them, and and when um, uh, Robson Canu scored their winner i actually leapt off the sofa and said yeah and i was more animated than him um but the first half of england i was sort of really disappointed but i didn't really show any emotion in front of him and uh but i did say come on you know we need to be making a you know breakthrough he said that we should have been about four nil up yeah we should and and the start of the second half i guess was for me was some of the most disappointing moment was that we want we knew that russia would couldn't be as bad as they were in the first half. Um, I do think partly we did restrict them. I think our centre-back pairing, Smalling and Cahill, kept the big lad quiet and I actually think looked pretty pretty well set and solid. But we didn't really fire right from kickoff. It was, I mean, as the commentary said, I think, we when they put up the injury time, it said, oh, England want 20 minutes here because we don't want it to end. And that was totally true. And we just... I don't know so much as we let them come into the game as much as as poor as they were. They're still an international side, so there's still quality within them. That was the only thing was a little bit disappointing. But then, you know, we 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 kept playing well. We had the breakthrough and then we had that Rooney shot on around 70 minutes where you've got to credit their goalkeeper. Oh, that is wow. a brilliant save. When it fell to Rooney, you're thinking just hit it low, side foot it, hit it low and hard. He pretty much did. And the goalkeepers got down and got his forearm to it. It was a, it was a tremendous save. Now, had that gone in, I have no doubts that we would have gone three or four nil. Absolutely. Wow. That was the moment for me where we've sealed the game. They roll over and we dominate. But of course, it didn't happen. Uh, substitutions have caused a lot of issues and a lot of talk, Sam. What were your thoughts on the changes that Roy made? Well, firstly, I was, you know, as much as the first half was a sort of great performance, there were still, I did still have some issues with players, more so in the second half. Um, there have been, there's been criticism of Harry Kane. Uh, but my main issue was not with Harry Kane. It was with Raheem Sterling um, down the left-hand side. Uh, he doesn't seem to play with uh, this kind of um, fearlessness that he used to play with. Now, when he was at Liverpool, he used to run and run and run and just didn't. But now at Man City, he's almost got some shackles put on him a bit. But as much as he was doing running and stuff and as much as he was holding on to the ball relatively well. His last touch was always really poor and he gave the ball away a number of times and he's just not as clinical as he should be. And uh, I would have rather had someone like, I mean, I don't know if Daniel Sturridge could fit in over there on the left-hand side, but I don't know. I would actually quite like Daniel Sturridge to start against Wales on that side. But Raheem Sterling, uh, you know, for me, should have come off a lot earlier. Um, the players that he brought on were... Um, not expected. Uh, now, Jack Wilshire replaced Wayne Rooney after about 78 minutes. Um, that was something I didn't expect. Now, Wayne Rooney, I thought, was having a great game. He was like our our, our Pirlo uh, in the middle of the pitch. And um, he was, you know, very, you know, he was dominating possession and uh, you know, very calm on the ball. Jack Wilshire, of course, hasn't played much this season. But when he came on against uh, Portugal in that friendly at Wembley, as we mentioned, he did add a bit of a sparkle to it. But I did think that there were other players that should have maybe come on, you know, like ahead of Wayne Rooney. And then um, who else did we have on? James Milner. He did replace Raheem Sterling. But, 
if anything, it should have happened about half an hour before, but James Milner wasn't the person that I expected to be uh, replacing him with. Yeah, I think by the time the Milner change came, I mean, that was very much a shut up shop and let's just hold them out because they're going to put more players forward. Um, yeah, I think the the Rooney change, I mean, he said Rooney was tired, but uh, I don't know. I mean, they weren't exactly running us ragged in the middle of the park, were they really? So I would have, I don't know, it was funny watching watching uh, Rooney in that kind of position and, and being that the kind of experienced player, it, it, for me, it gave kind of flashbacks to Beckham when Beckham was captain, when when Beckham was getting on a little bit and where you could just see when Beckham played, he just wanted to drive the team on and he just was everywhere. And even though he was a bit slow and all that kind of stuff, he would still be wanting to dominate the team. And I like that. And I think that was great when Beckham did it. And I think it was great when Rooney did it. So I guess the, the, the change that I thought he was going to make, which we, lots of people have talked about, was Vardy. I mean... Yeah, as well as we played, and I think we played exceptionally well, to have Kane and and, and Sterling, yeah, both both did not have great games, showed there's still potential to improve. Russia were starting to come a little bit higher. We were sitting back deeper. And as people have pointed out, we've got on the bench what showed during the Premier League season the best striker possibly in the world when it comes to a counter-attacking football. And we did have two or three breaks where we were on them. So it wasn't even as if, you know, Roy's looking at it going, well, we're not getting in situations that would suit Vardy. We absolutely were. And yet we didn't bring him on. He was he was very cautious. It was cautious substitutions. It was let's manage this game. Russia didn't have us on the ropes. And I think that's what he was thinking was they, they are not troubling us as we are. So we are, can see this game out. But as we've shown, it only takes a corner or some such to change the game. Now... And that ultimately is what is what led us down. But I want to get on to the, the negativity, I think, of fans because of that goal. I think it was just a nightmare. On Twitter, I, I put out that, you know, I think there's too much negativity. And then I had a reply from someone telling me that we were rubbish. Or like the guy on the fan thought, we were rubbish. And that this tweet, this tweet was that we'd, he'd fallen asleep. He was almost falling asleep watching us. It was like, what that? After all those chances we created, how are you falling asleep? But the small margins, you know, I watched the Germany-Ukraine game where Germany, for most of the game, bossed it. Ukraine had chances, more chances than Russia had, but bossed it. But we're only 1-0 up. Ukraine had a corner in, what, stoppage time at the end. Now, if that cross had been a better delivery and got on the head of a centre-back from Ukraine and Ukraine had stuck it in the net and it was 1-1 against Germany, would we all be saying, man, Germany were rubbish, awful, they're going to get knocked out? You know, the delivery wasn't great. They break and they score. It could have quite as easily have been us the other way. It was such small margins. And when we talk about strikers and whether strikers are playing well or not, there's always that saying that as long as strikers are getting in the right position and creating chances, it will come good for them. And for me, that applies totally to this England performance. We made countless chances. If we hadn't made chances I'd have, and we just got 1-1, I would have worried. If we play as well as we played, particularly in the first half, I honestly don't think we have any worries. And I think we'll be too strong for the teams coming up. But it is, I mean, with Berezitsky scoring, uh, it, it is so England, isn't it? It's just such an England thing. And I hear what you're saying, but... There is, there's, there's naivety, there's naivety. And, you know, when we're on top, we've got to be more clinical. And I know we get the chances and the, you know, the keeper pulled off some wonder saves and stuff, but, oh, I don't know. It's just so disappointing in my head, right? I just thought, right, I'm not going to build myself up this tournament. I'm just going to watch it and enjoy the festival of football that is set before me. But when England play, it's, you have to get involved. You have to. And um, I just didn't really know how to. The feel. You know what the worst thing is about it in these tournaments? There's like another five days until until the next game, and you're seeing all these other teams playing and winning, like Spain, who did it today with a sort of relatively last minute goal. It's just it's so frustrating. Thursday, but now you know. I suppose it's only two days away now, but even still, it's two days too long, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, I know, but I I I think the players. Maybe because it's a typical England thing, I don't think they'll be too down because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, there's always potential for that. I reckon they're going to be pretty hungry to put it right against Wales. So uh, that was the sort of matters 
on the pitch um off the pitch it wasn't so good was it now i was watching the itv coverage and they were being very cautious about what they were saying obviously just trying to take it in so i didn't actually see much about what was going on in the stands or watching the program but it was mainly through social media that i saw um exactly what was going on and uh, in the side the stadium it wasn't exactly a pretty scene was it it wasn't. And no, having kind of watched the ITV coverage of what was unfolding, I, I, I thought it was rubbish, eh? Like the fact they were not really committed. I know they wanted to talk about the football, but it was there were bigger events going on there. And, and I felt the way they kind of seemed to pretend it, nothing was happening. And then it must have been like they were reading the tweets that were coming into them saying, why aren't you addressing it? That Then they came back out of one of the ad breaks and then kind of said, oh, it appears there's some issue between the fans. And whereas, you know, I stuck on uh, Radio 5 Live and pretty much listened to Radio 5 Live for like the next four hours. So when you guys all went to bed after the game, there was the night show of Five Live, which of course was coming into my lunchtime. So I was washing dishes, listening to, you know, the reports and, they gave really, really great coverage of what was going on. And obviously then there were all the videos from people's phones and the information came the coming out. And, uh, you know, there had been days of it. But the thing that frustrates me is is the way that because it's England fans, immediately it's, it's England fans fighting and it's England fans involved in scuffles and the way it was perceived and yes I know England fans not going to say England fans are all great you know in any society there are bad eggs now in England with our past record yes there's been lots of bad eggs and we take two tournaments more fans than any other nation so on a sheer numbers everyone's got some baddies yes we're going to have some more baddies and if you flare them up, they're going to fight back. And that's horrible. And it sh- there is absolutely no place for it. But when you hear stories of friends that were having drinks with 30 other England fans and having a great day on a bar in a corner of a little French place, and then they're suddenly set on by three or 400 organised thugs that attack them for no reason, that to me is disgusting. And I was at Germany in 2006 as an England fan. And I was sceptical going because... You worry because of what you read in the papers and the past stuff. I thought, you know, I hope things are going to be okay. Now, I was there through the group stage, and I know there were some issues in the knockout stage, but there was there was no trouble at all. I, there was eighty thousand England fans in Germany. It was it was vocal, and there's songs, and there's lots of people drinking and getting drunk and all that kind of stuff. But I think back to then and think if I was in that bar. And I suddenly had three to four hundred organized Russian or French thugs attack. I just can't begin to think what that experience must be like. Mm, that's right. So UEFA has threatened to disqualify England and Russia from Euro 2016 if there's any further violence. Uh, it's begun disciplinary proceedings against Russia, but not England, after what they described as totally unacceptable scenes. Um the threat, the threatening of disqualification, um, is that just a way for UEFA to be sort of vocal about things, or is it just? Do you think their way to get through to the fans in a way that they're going to understand it? I just, I just don't know. But you know, uh, you've got organised gangs attacking England fans, you know, and and their their blanket thing is they're going to tar everyone with the same brush you know for me it's i'd rather see them coming out saying we didn't have enough security in the ground we're looking at the policing that the french police and that how the french right police have been controlling this or or completely lack of control as it seems i would rather have seen stronger statements like that i mean we all saw in the stadium the the little thin bit of rope and I actually felt sorry for the stewards that were there. I mean, you know, people are saying, well, the stewards didn't do enough. You know, a lot of these tournaments, stewards are, are volunteers and or they're paid minimum wage to do it and they get given a jacket and a hat and they get to watch the games. Are they going to stand in the way when they've got someone wearing a mouth guard and gloves and a, and a helmet? They're not. Yeah, that's right. They've been describing the England fans as, you know, girls or something like that. You know, like they are, you know, this is not a sexism thing. I just wanted to say that. But, um, you know, you know, that's what the Russian fans have been calling England fans, you know, little girls when it comes to hooliganisms. Uh, you know, we're the real hooligan sort of thing. And as you say, wearing MMA gloves, uh, gum shields and things like that, um, you know, 
I'm sure England were giving it some as well, but it, you know, you know, visually it did seem to be quite obvious where it was coming from and where it is going to, and it were and it was the Russia fans, you know, marauding towards the England fans. Yeah, there was a there was a listener on Radio Five Live who phoned up. It was a lad from Manchester who was said, "Oh, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I was an England hooligan, and I've been involved in past tournaments with trouble, organised trouble, and he has to hand his passport over." And there's this network of hooligans, and it's all very, it's ridiculous. It's all so organised. You know, they all have each other's phone numbers and WhatsApp, and they can communicate each gang to arrange fights or whatever else. Now, he was saying they knew before the tournament started that the Russians were going to cause trouble. They saw it that this is going to be their tournament, you know, and they flew well, they flew into Switzerland and then they drove cars from Switzerland to into France so they wouldn't be detected on the flights. And it's just horrible because it takes away from the football. It tarnishes the whole of football as the game because you have people who aren't football fans say, look, same old troubles. Here we go. It's a bigger issue. There's awful issues going on. And, and in two years time, we've we've given the world cup to russia you know and in the height of the england hooliganism back in the 70s and 80s certainly you wouldn't have seen mexico 86 staged in england would you no that's right so i suppose we need to sort of move on to more sort of lighter thoughts and uh if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that Mr. Barker over there regularly gets into his news suit and travels across into the news booth thinking up his most incredible puns. And last week, Sean, they they weren't the best. Oh, what? I thought, I thought you were going to say something totally different there, Sam. Um, I am very confident that this week's puns right. have raised the game absolutely raise the game now i'm just going to get into my news what did you call it the my news booth suit or my news suit your news booth suit i mean sometimes it's just a birthday suit sean but anyway he's just popping across to the news booth now so formal introduction here is mr barker with the euro 2016 back of the net news England's question of passion bails into insignificance. Roy Hodgson has hit out at Gareth Bale following his comments to the media that Wales have more passion than England. The Welshman said they big themselves up before they've done anything, so we're going to go there and we believe we can beat them. It is like any derby, you never want to lose to the enemy. I think we've got a lot more passion and pride about us than them. After hearing this, Roy said, The fact is that receiving disrespectful comments is part and parcel of being a footballer and a football coach. I'm pretty sure there will be lots of players going forward in opposing teams who have opinions about us. But we know who we are. We know what we are. Eric doesn't expect dire game as England face Wales. Eric Dyer says the game against Wales will be more like a Premier League fixture and less like an international when the two sides meet with both sets of players used to regularly playing against each other. Dyer said it might be a bit different to all the other games you've seen in the tournament so I think that's good for the spectators as well. It's a massive game for them and for us for many different reasons. Everyone is going to look forward to it. And we all just hope that it's the England fans that get the most enjoyment out of the game with a win for the three Lions. Shilton is the one and only with his realistic anthem. In possibly the most bizarre news of the week, England goalkeeping legend Peter Shilton has teamed up with 90s one-hit wonder Chesney Hawks to bring out a new song for the national side called The Realistic Anthem. It's not quite the usual rabble-rousing number you'd expect, with lyrics that include No victory in 50 years, and yes, it could be 50 more. Best prepare for some tears, because our defence will likely let them score. Still our boys will have fun, kicking a ball in the sun, even though our chances are practically none. Well, they've got a point, I suppose.
England Euronews. So thank you very much, Mr. Barker, for all the England-related Euro 2016 news there. And I was quite liking your puns, although I think that some of them were a little bit obvious, can I say. Now, the first one, England's question of passion bails into insignificance. Oh, very well done. Very clever. Thank you. Thank you. Eric doesn't expect dire game as England face Wales. How long did that one take you? Two seconds, three yeah, seconds? What? That, that was the quickest one to do. I'll give you that, yep. Now, this one I'm a bit confused by. Shilton is the one and only with his realistic anthem. Now, I know he's got a song out, as you said, but the one and only, that's referencing Chesney Hawks, right? Yes. So what's the relation to this? Well, you know the song, right? You know Ch- Sam, do you know who Chesney Hawks is? Yeah, I remember the song. Yeah, so I am the one and only. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's well. Shilton is the one and only with his realistic anthem because he's teamed up with Chesney Hawks for the song. Oh, well, I, oh, well I, I didn't know that. Was I not listening? I may have been typing away at the time and not actually listening while you were doing the news. Oh, buttons, my sure. word. I don't always listen. I may have had my other headphones on, so that's probably why I got a bit confused there. Sam. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I I haven't always got selective hearing like that, honestly. I promise you. Terrible. Hey, so you know Chesney Hawks. Yeah, well, you do know Chesney Hawks. One and only was his with his big song. Actually doing a bit of a discredit, calling him a one-hit wonder, because what he... It's a bit of a music knowledge for you. Is after that, he decided that he wanted to focus on songwriting, and he actually wrote loads of pop songs, big hit songs for other people throughout the 90s, and made loads of money there's actually a number of artists is this turning into like music 2016 podcast sean but another one there's a guy that won fame academy a number of c this was a a a poor man's x factor or a poor man's pop idol that the bbc put together kind of big brother meets x factor where the contestants all live in a house together and then every friday they have the live shows and there was a guy that won that a scottish guy called david snedden and he actually won fame academy um had a top 10 hit or whatever because you know the one that they sing when they reach the final or whatever that went to number one or whatever but after that he went to oblivion he's the same he writes songs for people left right and center he's he's minted minted yes the way to go sam yes you don't present you just write so you see we maybe we just need to write scripts for other podcasts i could just write other puns maybe just keep writing puns for other people Hey, hey, so Sean, can I just say something? Um, earlier on, I was uh, looking through some old MP3s. I've got, I've got an MP3 back catalogue that's huge, and I found this band, Sean, called Main Street. Right, and you may know a little bit about this band, but I was listening to a couple of the tracks. I thought these could make some great musical interludes during the back of the net podcasts. I, I thought you meant like in the stadiums during Euro two thousand and sixteen. <laughs> Well, do you know what? Oh, thanks, Sam. Yeah, we were we were just the, the band that never quite <laughs> made it. You know, we actually, we actually. <laughs> all right, this is totally off football, but we we got kind of to the stage where there was a record company that were kind of interested in us, and they sent their A and R guys to come to see us play a gig in London, and yeah. we were playing, and playing before us were friends of ours in a band that we played with a few times before, and these A and R guys came down to watch us, didn't like us liked the other band which are friends of ours signed them to a three album deal and yeah called air traffic who are a great bunch of guys and oh uh, yeah were... i know air traffic yeah. yeah chris uh yeah oh that's unbelievable yeah i've, I've seen them many a time as well but yeah, uh i wasn't bitter a eh, when i he sent i got an email once with a photo of one of them sat on the knee of dave grohl backstage of a festival they were playing at in belgium while i was i don't know just sat at home crying listening to my main street records Thanks for oh. thanks for bringing that up, Sam. As if as if supporting England during a major tournament isn't enough of a downer. You, you've added that to the mix. It's going to get better on Thursday. We're going to be heading into our second game of Euro 2016, needing a win against Group A leaders Wales. That just sounds funny, doesn't it? To offset the disappointment of losing that late lead to Russia. Now, in contrast, Wales at the weekend, they got off to a fine start as Hal Robson, Carnu and Gareth Bale struck 
twice to earn the Dragons a 2-1 win over Slovakia. Now, England boss Roy Hodgson will have a fully fit squad to choose from. No injury concerns, though he does face a tough decision on whether to start Jamie Vardy. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of talk uh, about that. There's been a lot of talk about Harry Kane taking the corners and all that kind of stuff. Um, For Wales, goalkeeper Wayne Hennessy faces a race to be fit after he missed the win against Slovakia due to a back spasm. Uh, Backup keeper Danny Ward played against Slovakia instead, although Chris Coleman will be hoping his number one is fit to return against Roy Hodgson's side. Now, the newspapers are doing their predictions, the media are doing their predictions, and they're saying there is going to be no change. It's going to be the exact same starting 11, Sean, for England, that is. Um, Are you happy with that? I... Wouldn't be overly surprised if it was the same starting eleven because I think there was so much good about the way that we played and the link up, and we know Kane can play a lot better than that. So if we play the same way as we did against Russia, but we have a more firing Kane, then I think that'd be a good thing. I don't I, like. I didn't feel like it was the formation or the way that we played meant Kane didn't have a good game. I think he just didn't perform for whatever reason it was it was it was that scenario based more than the formation based for me uh sterling just didn't have any end product really or very little end product he just seemed to run in straight lines didn't he which you might be right maybe at man city he's lost a bit of confidence because he's not the big boy in the changing room anymore like he was previously at liverpool maybe uh if we go back to the pre-tournament warm-up against portugal which was then meant to be lined up as if we were playing wales uh, we did have Milner and Dyer both in the side, which was the idea was to try and nullify the Ronaldo effect, although Ronaldo didn't end up playing. So I don't know whether we changed it once we knew Ronaldo wasn't playing or whether we played it anyway. So I don't know. There's a sneaky part of do we try and nullify that bail threat by playing an extra player that's, um, you could say, more defensive-minded. But then who comes out for him? Lalana really impressed me. Um, I've always been kind of not sure with Lalana just how good he is at England level, but he played sensationally well, I thought, and totally deserves to be in the side. So you've got to say, well, surely he gets picked. The game is, as Eric Dyer said, is going to be of a faster pace than a normal international. It is going to be more like a Premier League game, I think, in which case having a guy that scored over 20 goals in the Premier League in Vardy, should he be on the field? Yes, probably. So if I was to pick, I would probably go Vardy ahead of Sterling. But I could totally understand if he names the same side. Mm. I mean, on paper, on paper, I mean, I I know the FIFA world rankings are crazy. Uh, You know, Belgium have just been uh, beaten 2-0 by Italy. And well, Belgium are number one or number two in the FIFA world rankings. I I don't know where Wales are. They're probably like third or something. Who knows? But on paper, though, you know, nine times out of ten, England are going to beat Wales, aren't they? They are. If you equate it to a Premier League game, um, looking at the two sides, I mean, well, you'd have to say England are Spurs at the moment because we've got so many Spurs players in our ranks. You know, who would you say, not saying formation-wise or anything, but just in terms of level, I mean, what, a Wales like Stoke? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms, you know, I'm being serious in terms of if you took their squad as a whole and yes, they've got Bale with the world class player and all that kind of stuff. But without him, you've got a talented bunch of players. But if they were playing in the Premier League, like they'd be what? Would they be mid table? They would be Stoke and we would probably be Arsenal because we've got so much they're sort of going for us. Yet we always sort of fail at the final hurdle sort of thing. So, yeah, I think Stoke is probably a realistic sort of a. Yeah, realistic metaphor. And having watched that Wales game, um, to be honest, I mean, you take the Bale goal out of the equation, which was a great free kick. Of course it was. Um, Did Bale carve them up repeatedly? I mean, and I think that's kind of guess is testament to Wales in that they weren't, it didn't look like they were completely relying on Bale, although if ever there was two players close to a ball, they'd immediately give it to him. I understand that. And, and you know, who's to say that this game he's going to come alive and totally dictate? We just don't know. But um, I think you could possibly overestimate the threats, maybe. 
Well, interestingly, as we heard earlier with Joel on the fans' thoughts, our new listener in um, in Farnham, he did say, quite interestingly, is there an English player that's on the same level as Gareth Bale? He's probably right. Gareth Bale obviously could easily get into the England side, but is there anyone better than him in the England setup? Probably not right now, but if you were to take the two squads as 11 players, I mean, who who would you have? Who would you want? Okay, so you're going into the Premier League season or you're going into Syria or whatever. You can either have the Wales squad or you can have the England squad. I, I would choose England, and I still stand by. If, if we perform like we perform for a lot of the game against Russia, of course we need to take our chances, but I don't. I think we'll be too good for Wales if we perform like that. Mm. So our last few games against Wales, uh, European Championship qualifiers in 2001, we beat them 1-0 on our own turf. Um, at the Millennium Stadium, we beat them 2-0. And then we had a couple of World Cup qualifiers back in 2004, 2005, where we beat them 2-0 at Wembley and 1-0 at the Millennium Stadium. So it's been four wins out of our last four. Do you think it's going to be a fifth win in a row for England over Wales, Sean? Yes. Do you? I do. Wow. I I think we will win it. And I think we will win it. I'll be conservative and say we're going to win it 2-1. Mm. And Kane will score. And Rooney or Vardy will get the other goal. I like that. I do like that a lot. I th- I do see the game myself as being very similar to our uh, qualifying match against Scotland, where I can't quite remember how it went with the scoring. I think England were 2-0 up and then Scotland pulled one back, but then we scored again or something like that. I think we ended up winning 3-1. So I want to go for a 3-1. Harry Kane, Wayne Rooney, and just because he's probably going to prove me wrong, Raheem Sterling. So you went 4-1 last time, 3-1 this time. Goal fests are plenty. <laughs> so maybe this time's a one. You know, I don't know. I think it's going to be... I'm looking forward to the game. It's going to be a 1am kickoff here in New Zealand. So there's me and a bunch of lads from the footy team I play in are heading down to a bar in town. To Not, not the Welsh bar, which is the, um, the furthest south Welsh bar in the world, apparently. There's no bar deeper into the South Pacific south uh hemis- southern hemisphere which is uh totally welsh it used to be an old toilet block in here in wellington it was a, it was a, it was an old toilet so they converted <laughs> into a welsh bar and it's got it, it's built in um uh, yeah whatever <laughs> Sam, Sam, sorry wait. sean sorry 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 what were you saying i was uh i was just talking about the architecture of welsh uh, all right anyway whatever uh sam were you going to be in france or are you still going to be in england for this game yeah, I'm going to be in France. I fly out on Thursday morning and hopefully we can get into a fan park, have a couple of beers unless the alcohol's been banned, which I've heard it might have been. Um, so, yeah, we'll be in a fan park. And then there, I know there's a five o'clock game. I don't know what that is, but then I'm going to be watching Northern Ireland v Ukraine uh, in Lyon, eight o'clock kickoff. So should be quite an interesting one. Ooh, wow. Well, you enjoy that. You stay safe and just, you know, relax and have fun in the tournament. And uh, for the show after the Wales game, we're we're working on uh, a couple of avenues because Sam could well be enjoying the Euros far too much to be able to uh, put together a show with me. So, But we will hope to get Sam at least on the phone. So I'm going to put it out there. We're going to have a mystery guest to review the Wales game and also preview the Slovakia game. So stay tuned for that. It it could be Sir Jeff Hurst. It could be Paul Gascoigne. It just could be someone who's not quite a former England international. But hey, stay tuned for that. Um, but either way, Wales game, I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. This is not Sir Jeff Hurst, but you are listening to Back of the Net.
So that just about wraps up this episode of Back of the Net, the England Euro 2016 podcast. Remember, if you haven't subscribed already, you can do it via iTunes on your iPod. Just click that subscribe button and then every podcast we we do will be automatically downloaded to your device. You can do it on Mixcloud as well. Just go to afcbpodcast.com slash Mixcloud. You can go to YouTube as well. We've got so many ways to listen. Just simply go to afcbpodcast.com podcast.com click the how to listen link at the top and you can listen there whether you're listening on a ps4 in your car on your phone on a tablet whatever we've got all the ways that you can do it and you can listen to all our do you remembers and each week sean says i'm scratching my head for the answer but sean doesn't know this but i think i've now got the answer i think i've got it did you google no i didn't I did not Google. Okay, I promise. So this, Wait, you're looking at me with the death stare. I really I feel, have not. I feel like this is going to be a hollow victory if it is indeed a victory, although I still have a sneaky suspicion it's going to be snatched. He's going to snatch defeat from the draws of victory. But uh, So at the start of the show, we did give you the Do You Remember? It was a player born in Hull, played under quite a few different managers for England, in total of 23 caps, uh, played during the memorable 5-1 victory versus Germany. Go on then, Sam. Who is it? I was going to say Steve Stone, but I said that last week. It was and is, and I'm confident, Nick Barmby. Oh, yes. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right? Am I right? You are right. Get Sam it. Davis. He's just sneaked a last-minute winner. It was the, it was the connections with... Um, it was actually none of the England stuff. It was his... Premier League clubs. So Spurs, Liverpool, and then him going back to Hull. And I was thinking... What Liverpool midfielder was it? Because, you know, I used to support Liverpool being my Premier League club, but obviously uh, there are other teams that take preference now. Um, but, yeah, Nick Barmby, he, he was a funny old player he was. He was, uh, I would never say he was an England great. He wasn't, but he was part of that great side in the 5-1 victory, which was, you know, does go down in history. So there'll be another Do You Remember on the next show, so stay tuned for that. More England Euro greats. What a team we're assembling. Andy Sinton, Nick Barmby. Oh, who's next? So that's pretty much it now. Sam's... Oh, he's wheeling around celebrating. He's got his shirt. He's taking his shirt off. It's a yellow card. He's celebrating around the, around the living room. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. I will be back after the Wales game, aiming to get the podcast out probably Saturday morning UK time um, with no doubt a mystery guest that could well be a mystery close to the show, but we'll see how we go. Sam's off to the Euros. He's going to be cheering on England from a fan park and then going to watch Northern Ireland. And whatever you're doing, enjoy the rest of your time. Come on, England. Let's beat the Welsh and let's progress in the tournament. We'll be back very, very soon. You've been listening to Back of the Net, the England Euro 2016 podcast with me, Sean Barker. And Sam, if you can just sit down and and curb your celebrations and just tell them who you are. And me, Sam Davis. I'm calm now. See you soon. England, 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 England. Here's Gaspard. Gaspard is finishing here. The crowd are in raptures. The England players too. And England are marching towards the quarterfinals. England. 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 Podcast Network.